<laughs> hey, you got the white shiny meat? <laughs> I have the shiny with meat. Uh, welcome to uh, beautiful Leander, Texas. And remember, in Texas, we shoot the fuck back. We do. We really do. Goddamn, there was some guy I work with who was like, yeah, you know, and that, that, the whole thing that happened in Dallas, Garland, with, you know, mm-hmm. them holding a... At the number of people like, well, you provoked. Fuck you. Where you fucking breathe, you prick. But um, this guy was like, yeah, it gave the cop, I guess, the justification he needed to shoot the guy. I was like, yes. yeah, getting shot is actually a justification that I will say, you know. Hello, Rick <laughs> You're... <laughs> Yeah, fucking idiots. Yeah, yes. You're okay shooting back. Yeah. It's, it was like when I was in Ireland and I saw the news about the, the, the guys doing the, the terrorists doing the attack on the airport in Glasgow. And I was like, <laughs> yes. fuck. And everyone there was like, yeah, I don't know what they're <laughs> fucking Glaswegian dude is really going to put up with any of that shit. No. Yeah. Um, what the fuck? Is that fo- is that then? All right. Well, we have a message, a phone message. Oh, my. I know, from a very good friend of the show. Hold on a second. Let me pull this up. Spalding Gray. Spalding, yes. The one and only Spalding Gray. From the grave. <laughs> yes, we have... Uh, hold on a second. Let me find... There it is. Because... Actually, you know what? I'm not going to say what it is. I'm just going to... Should I read it or play it first? Uh... Play it first. All right, we're going to play it, then we're going to read it. Here we go. Voicemail. Comedy Gold. Hey, film thugs, how's it going? It's Robbie from Boston. Uh, I just finished listening to your episode on Spike Lee, and there was something Jim said at one point about the Jordans. They were the shoes that he never got and never deserved. Well, I'm in the same boat. Because uh, back then, uh, I don't know what Jordans exactly they were, because there's so many of them, but, you know, I didn't know anything about sports but I knew who Michael Jordan was and I needed some new sneakers back then so I had about $80 and I went over to the sneaker store and I bought what I thought were Jordans oh. and you know obviously they were fake uh, you know I spent that summer being laughed at and ever Jordanians. since then I never looked back I never wanted Jordans I, did, I didn't want to make up for it you know I said fuck those sneakers I really don't need them and you know, that's basically it. So uh, just want to let you know that you guys have a, you know, you did a very good show, and I can't wait to hear your next one. Sit here. Bye. Thank you, sir. Thank yes, you. Yes, I never, when I say I played on a basketball team, I was about six foot one when I was in eighth grade, and I was the second string center for the B team. <laughs> that's how uh, oh my. skillful my basketballing was. I was not very good. My right. most notable uh, moment was when I made, I guess, was more of a lambeer esque play where a guy cut off a past me and I uh, did a fast break down to the other end for a layup. And when he went up for the layup, I tackled him, <laughs> threw him to the fucking ground. Nice. It was the most aggressive foul I've ever been a party to. That's good. It was wonderful. Should basketball need more goons? I'm here. Right. And now I'm 40. I don't give a fuck. Well, you're paying me how much? Cool. I'll punch oh. him in the fucking no, sternum. I'll just straight up shoot your ass. Yeah. Guy goes for a rebound. I just like punch. Last Boy Scout, but in basketball. Yeah. Just, just life a bitch. Boom. <laughs> Shoot him right in the cock. All right. So he, let's see what Google Earth said. I mean, Google Earth. <laughs> oh let's see how this mapped out. Let's see what Google Voice said this was. Hey, Phil Info. Does it going? <laughs> it's about the from Boston. 
I just finished listening to your At the Salon Spike Lee and should there was something. Jim said at one point about the Jordans, they were that she was that he never got and never deserved. All, I'm in the same goal. Could back and then I don't know what Jordans exactly they were cause. <laughs> so many of them. But you know, I didn't know anything about sports, but I know who Michael Jordan ones and I need some losing his bike. And so <laughs> losing his bike. Uh, and so I had about $80 and I went over to the, St- the Steiger store and <laughs> no. I bought what I thought w- were W-E apostrophe R-E Jordans. And, you know, obviously they're afraid. You know, I spent a summer. <laughs> you know, I spent a summer being Alaska, and ever since then, I never looked back. <laughs> I never won Jordans, and I, I didn't want to make up for it. You know, I stuff those, I, I stuff of those leaguers. I really don't need them, and yeah, that's basically it. So, I just want to let you know, you guys have, you know, you get a very good show, and I can't wait to hear. Next week, take care. Bye. I think I'm going to start reading before I play. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I kind of like knowing where it's supposed to be and right. hearing just how bad it is. Okay. That's uh-huh. just me. What the fuck does it matter? Uh, it's yeah. our fucking show. Exactly. So this week. I have notes. We are beginning, because it's going to take a while, a while. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a 134-page trek. Y'all settle in for this. Through the adequate... Are we going to go that far with it through the uh, completed script? There we go. Yes, he finished it. J.J. Abrams' Superman script, first draft, July 26th, 2002. Um, I have often jokingly referred to him as Johnny Act One because I will say this. J.J. hell of an act, though. J.J. can can give you an Act One. He's very good at that. Usually. Yeah. But then when it gets to doing something with that, it uh, it's a little yeah, questionable. Yeah. And part of it is because he just doesn't want to answer questions. He did this whole TED Talk about when he was a kid, he got this mystery box mm-hmm. at his uh, um, this local magic and novelty God store. God knows I've been there. And it's, it's like, just has a question mark on it, has all this. He, he's, to this day, not opened it. That... Is outrageous. Yes. And he says that it's what the question represents. It's him and his grandfather doing blah, 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 blah. Whatever. But that tells you quite a bit about him. I think I just found a new entry to my prick bucket list. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, that that sums so much of it up. We are going to ask questions with no intention of answering them and no idea what the answer would be. Hmm. Welcome to the island. (laughs) Right. Yeah, just, uh... That's entirely um, how I, I read that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, it's a lot like Joss Whedon's way of flashing at something deeper mm-hmm. rather than attacking it. Going deeper. Oh. But his material he works in doesn't really lend itself to profundity. Right. So, speaking of lacking in profundity, yeah. I saw uh, Age of Ultron. How was it? Lacking in profundity. You know what? But I, it's a fucking Avengers movie. I, I heard, don't need profundity. You know what I heard? Mm. I heard Age of Voltron. And I want to go see oh, Age yeah. of Voltron so fucking bad right now. Yeah, I, I, that would be an entirely different story. That, in fact, would be me if I worked at Marvel Studios. Yeah, we're doing Voltron. What are we doing? We're doing Avengers Age of Voltron. But trust me. Form feet and legs. Form arms This is the greatest thing 
that will ever happen to mankind. Yeah. When I was a kid, I will be cheered as a god. All I wanted was uh, if, uh, this dude I knew had the the fucking five lions that snapped together to form the Voltron. Yeah, so did I. All I ever got was uh, one that was like a die cast. Like, it was f- fucking solid. It was a ma- solid mm. matchbox, you know. But I never got the one that, uh, that the put together. One. I never got that. the real one. I, like, beat it to shit, of course. <laughs> yeah. Did it have weird, googly, big-eyed pilots in them? Because or... all of the anime had the, the, those no, big, no, like, crazy big eyes. Big, heavy-ass... Fucking club a kid to death, lions. Nice. Oh man, that shit was good. So good badass. Whoever thought badass. Voltron, Voltron, Voltron. I don't know, but I couldn't be more excited about Voltron when I was a kid because it came on with uh, not very. It was very rare when it came on. Oh yes, uh-huh. when it did, it's a big goddamn deal. Oh yeah, it's like yeah. Doctor Who on PBS. And you didn't right. know what when it just kind of dropped you. Mine was even more fucking sporadic because we had to go to the tape club oh, and Lord. get Thundercats. And mm. Voltrons. Right. And every once in a while, you could flip Trones. through. Yeah, you could flip through the weird Panamanian stations, and they'd either be playing Enos, softcore pornography, mm. or uh, Voltron in Spanish. El Voltrano. El Voltrano. El Buffalo. Hey. Es un Buffalo. <laughs> it, was, it was wonderful. For some reason, they all had big, big juicy mustaches. Well, certainly. In that. It was glorious. <clears throat> but um, now for the legal shit. Uh, you will notice there was no theme song at the beginning of this or any of that. We're not going to read about uh, any of the sponsors you can find at www.thefilmdugs.com or that we are on Facebook and Twitter. We're not going to tell you about those things um, because this is a presentation of copyrighted material that is being presented as both parody and educational and intended to be presented in a transformative nature. Um, we will not be accepting any money for doing this particular episode, but we will accept it for other episodes. Um, basically, everything that is necessary to put this performance into what is known as fair use. We are doing a parody performance of this, and we are known as parody artists, which means we're golden with this. Barbaric. So, that being said, so you haven't read all of it yet. No. I haven't read it in years. I read this like maybe seven or eight years ago. Okay. Haven't read it since. Wanting to go in fresh. How banana pants is it to you thus far? It's it's pretty banana pants. Yeah. It's a first draft. I don't know his uh, particular theory what his of writing. end game was. Uh, no, I mean, you know, first some people's idea of first drafts of anything is just to let it all out. Yeah. Just get it all out there. Doesn't make a shit. Don't, don't self-edit. Just. Yeah, just vomit it, it all there, out yeah. there, and then you come back and yeah. Well, this is 136 edit. pages, so yeah, so, I'm thinking there was not a lot of editing going on as he wrote this. Keep that in mind, right? Whilst the lampooning of some of these choices uh, is, uh, goes on, goes so, forth, yes. um, that we know it's the first draft. We're aware of that, but it's no fun to say mm. what the fuck is that? Oh, I guess it's first. Draft. Yeah, well, I Forgive guess it. he's trying. Oh, well, no, yeah, no, that's not what we are. Basically, we're pricks. So. We are taking this from the idea that this was the production draft. This right. is what he was planning on going. No, nah, this is gold, Jerry. And speaking Let's of film this shit, first draft pricks. Um, did you hear about our name? What our film thugs name? Now thugs could be the N word. Oh goodness, yes, I had heard about that. Forgot all about this. I know, shit. So, huh. Well, it's okay if we use it because we're just describing ourselves. We've been we've been thug for years. That's true. Straight street, man. Oh, well. So you mean there there are people out there who 
who were looking for a reason to be offended and found one. Mm-hmm. Damn. It's weird how that works, isn't offense it? Offense mining. What I'm hoping is that we can cause not offense. I don't want to cause offense with our name. I want to cause outrage. <laughs> well, of course. You I want can. motherfuckers to be outraged. Uh-uh. So, to begin that, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, J.J. Abrams, Superman, fade in, interior TV monitor, day, tight on the video image of a news telecast, except there's no one there, just an empty news desk. Odd. Suddenly, a newscaster appears behind the desk. He's 45, rushed and unkempt, fumbles with his click mic, hands trembling. It's unsettling. He looks at us, trying desperately to sound confident, but his voice shakes. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching this and you're not taking shelter underground, we strongly urge you, all of you, to do so immediately, anywhere, anywhere you are, anywhere you can find. At this hour, all we know is that there are visitors on this planet and there's a conflict between them. The Giza pyramids have been destroyed. Sections of Paris. Massive fires are raging from Venezuela to Chile. A great deal of Seoul, Korea no longer exists. All this man wants to do is cry, but he's a pro. We realize that now. We've been slowly pushing in all along. (laughs) Only weeks ago, this report would have seemed ludicrous. Ludicrisp. Ludicrisp. Aliens using Earth as a battleground? Then, with growing venom. But that was before Superman. (laughs) It turns out that our faith was naive, premature, perhaps given the state of the world, simply desperate. Something urgent is yelled from behind the camera. Our newscaster looks off terrified. He yells something back, but it's masked by a shattering flying (laughs) flying glass. The video camera shakes. Continued. A terrible whistle. Then an explosion. Everything is whipped out of frame. And some horrible instant the cre- and in the same horrible instant the screen goes static. Exterior Gotham City Day. The network skyscraper is being blown apart literally by one of the aforementioned visitors. Dressed in a in body armor and a sort of ninja's cloak. Yes, of course. Along with a sword sheath containing a weapon we'll learn about later. I bet it's a sword. <laughs> He stands in the middle of, the, of, a, of a central, now abandoned city street. Cars strewn everywhere. He's blowing, exhaling with the force of a thousand hurricanes and flattening five city blocks in the process. After the buildings have fallen, a distant, escalating whoosh can be heard. The visitor turns to look behind them, and we quickly push in on his face. This Kryptonian's name is Tizor. A handsome... Thirty year, a handsome thirty years old, looking into the distance as the whoosh grows louder. Tizor's mouth curls into a slight smile. There's a radical convinci- conviction lurking behind those dark eyes. What that conviction is exactly, we'll su- we'll learn soon enough. Suffice it to say, this destruction has gotten Tizor the attention he wanted. Suddenly. We pull back two blocks away, angle on a st- on a st- angle still on Tizor, as two red boots hit the pavement in the foreground like an NBA MVP coming down from a slam dunk. <laughs> Whitest sentence ever written, goodness gracious me. The whoosh coming to a satisfying halt. <laughs> oh, yes. We can feel his presence. Is it the shoes? <laughs> it's got to be the shoes, money. Uh, 
as the camera starts to move around to the front of the booth, slowly rising, dramatically revealing the body of a 29-year-old warrior. A warrior in brilliant red and blue, cape billowing, an icon on his muscular chest resembling an S, and finally the face, eyes awash with rage and determination. But our first view of Superman isn't an all-powerful superhero one might expect. What fierce and re- While fierce and resolute, this Superman at this moment is winded. His iconic suit shredded in areas, his sail-like cape slashed, bruised and bloodied. Superman squares fero- stares ferociously at Tizor, two boxers in the instant before round 12. And for this one moment, it is dreadfully silent in the middle of this gothic American city. Two extraterrestrial soldiers <laughs> facing off like wild gunslingers. Then, with a sudden and powerful leap, Tizor lifts off the pavement and blasts into the sky. Superman furiously pursues. What follows is a frenzied mid-air martial arts battle, the camera quickly orbiting around the two as they exchange deadly lightning-fast blows, powerhouse punches that would propel a battleship 200 feet out of the water. They slalom buildings, battle and chase, a brutal but equal battle of superhuman strengths. Superman soars high above the buildings, then turns 180 degrees and swoops down, backwards somersault-kicking Tizor. Tizor is thrown back hard into a giant construction crane that falls back, crashing into the streets below. Tizor is shell-shocked for a moment, sees Superman coming after him, so Tizor grabs the end of the crane and lifts it, swinging it as if it had been made in Louisville. He slams the thing into Superman, who is thrown out of control. We actually follow Superman in slow motion. Our angle straight on as he crashes through two floors of two different buildings, people running crazily through the halls to avoid the danger. Still reeling backwards, Superman steadies himself, gets his bearings in midair, then, God bless him, he heads (laughs) back for more. Tizor sees Superman coming, his eyes fixed, satisfied. Tizor flies off. Superman gives chase. Exterior, East Coast, day. Sonic booms as Superman bullets after Tizor, both breaking the sound barrier, flying over the eastern seaboard. Tizor dive bombs. Superman follows, too. Exterior, Cape Canaveral, day. Rockets, shuttles, massive crawlers, and aeronautic tech. Superman lands fast, and we push close in on him. In this moment, sweating, panting, he seems like a savage hunter, hungry for a kill. A metallic sound as Superman's head snaps to the side, eyes fixed on a distant hangar. In a blur, the Man of Steel has left the frame. Interior, NASA hangar day. At giant warehouse, rocket boosters, and next-gen machinery, Superman enters, scans the place with his steely eyes. We suddenly rush into Superman's eyes, and suddenly we can see what he sees. X-ray vision. Continued. Imagine the optic nerve working like a frog's whip-fast tongue. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Instant zooms pushing through objects. It's almost dizzying. This computer-like X-ray scan and Superman sees across the space and across an access door ripped off of its frame. Superman blurs through space and through the door. Interior Nesta testing area day. Superman enters the long, dark corridor. It's a dead end, but there are a dozen doors here. Tizor is here, somewhere. Superman stares down the hall, but something is wrong. His eyes aren't working as they normally do. Then a chilling whisper. Kellel. Superman looks up. We see fear in those eyes. Where is this quiet coming from? Lead walls. It's almost like we're human, isn't it? 
Determined, having had enough, Superman hurries down the hall, powerfully rips off each door, searching the testing rooms. Each filled with NASA gear and giant water testing tanks, Superman moves through the place, door to door. He finally rips off a door that makes him stop. We're tied on a face, his eyes wide with terror at what he sees, and although we don't see what it is, we can guess, and Superman almost gasps. No. Overcome with deep pain, Superman crashes to his knees, sinking to the concrete floor like it was soft sand. An agonizing, confusing moment. What the hell is happening to me? His head <laughs> hung low. He tries to crawl forward, but it's so painful. It's so painful. And Tizor's voice returns, forcefully now. I want to hear you cry, Kal-El, like your mother cried. Cry for me! Superman! And Superman finally looks up, and what he sees is terrifying. His face covered in a repulsed blister rash. His eyes are rolled back in bloodshot, and Superman screams out loud enough for the world to hear. And finally, we smash cut oh, to... Oh, darn it! I'm going to take a guess here. I'm going to just ask Kryptonite. Maybe! <laughs> <laughs> Superman, just, all Kryptonite does is give you a radiation burn. Really? That's all. Yeah. That's it. We smash cut to exterior field, day, peace, nature, the only sound, the gentle brushing of tall wheat. Wheat. A five-year-old girl, the picture of innocence, sits on the ground, holding a small flower. Her hair moves in the soft breeze. Pull back to a massive long shot, the endless field adjacent to a thick forest, snowy mountains, hundreds of miles away, three moons in the daytime sky, the whole image washed in a crimson glow. Wow. On this planet, their sun is red, and these words appear on the screen. Krypton. 29 Earth ears early. Earth Earth ears. Earth ears. Earth. I'm sorry, hold on. 29 Earth years <laughs> earlier. Nice. I might need to, to bust that out every once in a while. Yeah. Um, we are tight again on the little girl. She picks another flower, collecting them. She's so adorable that you almost could watch her for you could almost watch her forever. No. No. Then her head snaps up and she hears something that we do not. A moment later we feel it, a deep, powerful, distant thud, then another. She stands, looking off, worried. Another louder, deeper thud, crashing, snapping, rumbling, something fucking gargantuan <laughs> is coming. That's in the script. That is in the script. Yeah, that's I, I that's why I paused. It was like no something. Fucking gargantuan is coming. As her face grows in panic, all of a sudden, there is silence. The little girl's eyes dart around. What was that? Is it gone? Will it... <laughs> and it cuts off. Will it... Crash! The girl screams in sheer terror as a 12-story tall war machine, a three-legged walking tank, a rouser, crashes through the forest. It's fire turrets belching flames, immediately scorching the ground, and the beast is headed her way. The girl runs, holy shit, does she <laughs> run, screaming her head off, but the word, screaming words, calling for her mother and father, but the words she, she, she's shrieking are Kryptonian. I never saw, I could have saw. It's in the script. I'm not making this shit up. Uh, the girl runs past. We pa past us, we pen to reveal her distant, doomed, unearthly home. We realize that this is a borderland. Her house set amid enormous walls, fences, barriers that resemble tank stops. 
The enormous Rouser mech warrior charges forward, spitting its napalm in appalling burst. And we boom up, looking over the horizon. There are dozens more of these beast machines coming. Beast machine. Yeah, beast machine productions. And the towering turrets break through the blockade, automated, the blockaders, the blockades, automated defense mounting munitions, automated defense munitions fire at the dinosaur tanks, but there are too many of them. The border is crossed. Interior Senate cor- corridor day. A handheld camera races behind a Senate officer who sprints down a long corridor. The image is shaky and fast, and the Shiny. building feels imposing. The design, almost Japanese in influence, combined with a huge scale of Soviet-era government buildings. The officer bursts into interior Senate assembly room day. The magnificent meeting space, the heart of the political system. Eight species are represented here. Forty-seven senior Senate members, senior Senate members, <laughs> surrounded by central lectern, where four hierarchs flank their king. All heads turn to the vi- turn to the visibly shaken, out of breath officer who makes a dire announcement. Note: All scenes on Krypton are spoken in Kryptonian, an actual language we will develop. Where subtitles are needed, specific dialogue is to be written. Which seems complicated, so we are going to use Italian stereotypes. Done. <clears throat> officer. Do you want to be officer yeah, or do ahead. you want to be... All right. Officer. They've crossed the border into the regime. <laughs> the Senate members are stunned. They all inevitably turn to one man, and so do we. The camera moves in to reveal Jorel, their handsome, rugged 39-year-old leader who has been dreading this. Have we heard from Sir, the general is dead. Oh, no. Jorel absorbs the devastating news, then suddenly vaults into action. Interior. War room. Day. It's a panic in here. <laughs> the bustling command center of their military, two dozen lieutenants, still eight species represented, talk over each other, manning their stations. Holographic monitors show the damage is being done. Complex symbols and diagram indicating just how much progress ah, pro- progress the enemy has made. The, 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 the watermark fucked that up a little. Jorel bursts into the room, taking in the information as one lieutenant reports directly to Jorel, indicating the screens. They attack us all at once, some from the east and from the south. But their units in men were destroyed? I'm afraid of those were decoys. Ah. It's all hard. it's all Chico Marx. Uh, increasingly distraught, Jorel moves to another screen, calls up other icons of their surviving troops. Not many. We have no offense left. Jorel looks at the lieutenant, enraged. The lieutenant stares back anxiously. Sir, look at our positions. Tell me you see a way out. Jorel looks back to the screens. We move in on him as it becomes increasingly clear that his people, for the moment, are damned. Jorel's eyes swell with tears. The lieutenant, still fixed on his leader, truly wishing for a miracle, but the miracle that Jorel has is far from a quick fix. I go to your family. Sir, my job, it's a heel. I'm ordering you to go! I go. A beat. Finally, the lieutenant nods and heads off. We're on Jorel, alone, looking off, his heart sinking as the sounds of destruction grow louder. I would have put, grow ever louder. Interior, exterior, Taza, Krypton, day. 
A massive, glorious capital city currently under siege. Mech warriors crash through the streets, attacking fleeing residents mercilessly. We follow one giant war machine, panning with it, revealing the city's palace in the distance. Interior, Taza Palace Day. Jorel hurries down a corridor, followed by his wife, Laura, who is crying, begging, Please, Jorel! But he's determined, and he walks. Lara, you know this day might come. There must be something else we can do. There isn't. She stops him, physically strong, and yelling, He's our son, and I will not send him away. Oh, our baby. Jorel looks at her, his heart faring no better. But if he's not strong in this moment, there's no hope for the future at all. He embraces her, and then quietly, My love, there's no time. <laughs> he kisses her forehead, then looks into her red, wet eyes. <laughs> oh. Visceral JJ. Yeah. His look silently asks, you ready for this? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, she just cries, defeated. It's the best she can do. Interior, launch chamber, day. With a shockingly loud hiss, a portal opens. We're looking out inside a transport capsule, large enough for one adult, but we are tight on an infant. As he is placed on the cushioned interior of the capsule, this child, the baby Kal-El, who will one day become Superman, what? looks up, hopefully, at the parents, who are about to send him light years away. The child, oblivious, smiles at his parents. A still teary-eyed Laura has just reluctantly placed her son into the carrier. Jorel stands beside her. They look down at their son for a last heart-rending moment. Jorel touches the baby, and we see just how devastating this is for him. Look at this now, so that one day you might remember us. Then a distant thundering. The machines are coming. We see now that Jorel is in a large observatory-like space. Jorel uses a holographic keyboard, and the capsule's center and the capsule's portal closes. We can still see the face of the infant inside through a window as the capsule begins to fill with a clear, thick liquid. Laura chokes back tears as the oxygenated protective gel covers her son. She can't take it. Laura turns away. Jorel continues the operation in what must be some kind of nanotechnology. Okay. A metallic outer shell seems to grow around the capsule. Then the high ceiling slides open. The countdown has begun, and Jorel goes to Laura. We have to go. <laughs> as the pronto, launch. Pronto. As, <laughs> I don't know what we have to go. We have to go. Prego. Hey! As the, <laughs> the launch alarm <laughs> blares, Jorel starts out returning for his wife's hand, yells for her to come. Hey! Trying desperately to maintain her sanity, she runs with him. Exterior, Taza Palace Garden. Quick break. Okay. Yes, quick break. Right now, I just want to say, whatever you're doing, you at home or in your car, work, play, what have you. Yes. In the small, dark room listening to our show, uh -huh. naked and alone. Most likely. Probably. It's what I do. Yeah. Stop and listen to me. If you're at all, at all inclined to write uh -huh. anything, yeah. For God's sake, do it. Yeah. It is not nearly as difficult as, as, difficult we would as it appears. No. Just, nanotechnology? Why not? Yeah. Fucking gargantuan? Yeah, fucking gargantuan, some sort of, na some sort of some nanotechnology. Some sort of, just like, I can kind of see how, you know, a studio would need that. Yeah. Does it need, like, what is it, like, big? Oh, it's fucking gargantuan. Oh, fuck yeah, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> oh. It's the Japanese. Like, fuck, ah! Those are Japanese on a kick. Russian skin. What the fuck's name is a somersault kick? No one knows. Uh-uh. Coke knows. Oh. Oh, yes. Oh, it do. How you doing on Lone Star? I need another. As well do I. Mm. That's got to be a real need of the old emotional nutsack. <laughs> 16 ounces of adequate beer-flavored beverage. Pretty much. Uh, All right. I'd have gotten big flats, but... Psh, still nope. not there? Nope. The fuck is happening? We need somebody know. on this. We need somebody on this. know why big flats is no longer in Walgreens. Pet it! Mm-hmm. Come on! Yeah. When's it coming back? Come on. Come on. On, uh, 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 um, and they sell a shitload of it, so they can't have stopped making yeah, it. Yeah, just between us two. Yeah, Come on, they sell them. we bought it all. Really? Yeah, they had a big reservoir that was left over from the war. Uh, all right, Jarrell and Laura run through the labyrinth garden as behind them their son's escape pod blasts into space from the giant chamber. They turn to look. The exhaust is bright. No, it's not. Ex- no. It really isn't. No, 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 no. The propellant, the the the, the rocket shines Shh. bright. <laughs> the force almost blows them over. Jorel grabs his wife's hand, and they keep running. Finally, they arrive at a dirt trail. A vehicle is here. A Zuba. We don't need to name it. A one-wheeled gyroscope-controlled speeder. Dude, it's just a Segway. Yes. Okay. So I jump on a seg- Segway with a weird-looking creature manning the handlebars. This is Taga. Imagine a turtle without its shell, only as big as you are. Producer's note. Imagine a space vehicle that can drive itself, Yeah. and we save money. Imagine dumping a lot of money into a, a character that we gave a name to that we're never going to see again. But wait, can we make an action figure out of Taga? Probably. Let's follow the George Lucas rule. Yes, we can. We can make a toilet action figure. (laughs) People buy that shit. It's called Toilito. It's called (laughs) Toilito. It's a a toilet. Laura gets on the Zuba as Jor-El talks urgently with Taga, who nods and responds. A devoted follower. Laura is aghast as she realizes what's happening. You're coming with me. You will see me again. Promise you, baby. <laughs> he grabs her face and kisses her passionately. A nearby explosion rocks the camera. Jor-El turns to look back at the palace. He then commands Taga to go far, fast. Taga revs the engine, races away. Jor-El hurries back. Interior Taga Palace Day. It's mayhem, a classic wartime documentary, handheld style. We witness the two mech warriors crash through the entrance of the palace. Soldiers wielding powerful laser weapons fire at the machine monsters with Jor-El leading the charge. He runs past pillars, yelling orders to his troops, firing his blasters at the invaders. Jor-El fights with the enemy troops. His skills with martial arts and weaponry are <laughs> magnificent. God. He k- skillfully twirls a blast staff. <laughs> <laughs> he 
skillfully twirls a blast staff. You know it. You twirl your blast staff. Neither of my uh, cheer squad. (laughs) You get arrested. A three-foot-long composite pulse blaster that can fire from either end. You know it. Nothing could go wrong with that. (laughs) Nothing could go wrong with that. Jor-El then switches weapons and fires what looks like a grenade launcher at one of the mechs. It lands with a clank on the underbelly of the metal beast. Jor-El yells for his troops to scatter, and he dives for the ground as the mech violently explodes, shredding everything around it. What gets shredded around it? Uh, Everything. Everything. Smoke everywhere. Jorel looks up and spots the lieutenant he ordered to return home, lying on the ground, badly wounded by shrapnel. Jorel hurries to the hurt soldier, who, seeing Jorel, says painfully, It was my duty to stay. I was behind the machine. Why did you shoot it with the grenade? <laughs> why you do that? Why? Come on. You don't think of safety. Come on, Jojo, why? We now have to change the no days since a lost time incident. Yeah. I'm going to get you the Zeppelin on St. Joseph's. Ah, it's a wonderful. Jorel grabs the lieutenant, is helping him up when something suddenly grabs Jorel around the neck. It's a collar attached to a long wire, suddenly goes taut. Jorel is janked outside. <laughs> Exit Tazar Palace Day. And we realize that this living collar is attached to one of the 12 story mechs. Jorel is now lying in agony on the grounds outside the semi demolished palace. The mech towers above him, one of its enormous smoking laser cannons. Only a f- smoking laser cannons. Yeah, because yes. Only a few feet above him, aimed directly at him. Then all goes silent. Jorel bones broken rolls over and sees like a vision someone step through the smoke. Only a few years younger than Jorel, this Kryptonian apparently leading the enemy troops is Jorel's brother. His name is Katazor, and he moves with to his stricken older brother and looks down upon him. There's a familiar there's a familiar disease behind Katazor's eyes. We've seen it before in the eyes of his son, Tizor. Can you, can you imagine what the father would say seeing me standing like this above you? <laughs> Jorel looks at his brother with contempt. The silence infuriates Katazor. He leans in close, an intense, quiet, frightening moment. I know what you've done. That you've sent the boy off a planet, hoping to fulfill the prophecy. Touching Jorel's face. But I will find him, my brother. Katazor starts to squeeze Jorel's face powerfully, painfully. Katazor leans even closer. And the width, and these are the hands that will kill him. Katazor shoves away Jorel's face and stands, barking to his lieutenant. I want the boy! <laughs> Katazor's lieutenant. Sir, the pod could be headed any any one of a thousand planets. Then send a thousand men. That's a good idea. It is a good idea. (laughs) Dozens of Katazor's soldiers, hundreds of them, run across the tarmac to their pods. We see them secure themselves inside. Hatches closing, closing, preparations made. 
next year, Krypton Day, a shot so long that you can see the curvature of the planet, and suddenly the pods come. Hundreds of them, lifting off from Krypton and dispersing into space, all headed away from their red sun, hunting down an innocent child who couldn't possibly know of the journey that lies ahead. Our music spoils its epic and then fade to... So wait a minute. They they literally had thousands ready to go off-world now. Yes, because Krypton Mm -hmm. does not explode. But what... It's fine. That's is no problem. That, isn't that the point? No, 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 no. No. You, no. 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 They're ready to go. They knew this plan was going to happen. So basically, so he just abandons his kid. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, honey, they're going to be raising property taxes. We need to just leave the baby on a train. <laughs> No, no. Just put them on the train. We need to drop a little weight. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Look, these sandwiches don't buy themselves. Yeah. And that one loves sandwiches. And that one's going to have a last name L. My brother took that Zor side, and that's bullshit. Yeah. So we're putting the baby on the train. Yeah. And, you know. That's it. Godspeed. Godspeed, little man. <laughs> Fade in. Interior. Kent's kitchen day. Martha and Jonathan eat breakfast. They're in their late 30s. The whole universe is in their late 30s. A handsome couple. A good couple. Handsome equals good. Yeah, fuck it. Yes, universally. Their farmhouse is modest and cozy. A large window beside the table, beside the table, frames a view of their expansive cornfield. A timeless place. Real quick, we've read 12 fucking pages. 12. 12 fucking pages this is the longest movie ever fucking made <laughs> seriously good look lo- ever made let's stop there james well this movie is interminable which is they're still filming it <laughs> yes. my god that's like a half an hour opening 10 pages yeah if this thing continues this is going to be our next hundred episodes <laughs> Oy vey. um martha and jonathan Ken- okay handsome couple good couple Modest and cozy. Oh, we hold on this one shot. It's so simple, so mundane. These are their last moments of a normal life. Good eggs. Oh, good. I'm glad you like them. I use that new cheese. You know, with that orange label. Mm, Thank you. You're welcome. Is Mr. Devaney still coming by? Yeah, yeah. All right. It's Mr. (laughs) (laughs) It'll make sense later. Uh, (laughs) Is Mr. Devaney still coming by this afternoon? I told him you'd be getting his check. He still wanted to come by at three. Well, then I might just go out this afternoon. I just don't. I just don't like him much. Jonathan looks at her, not understanding exactly when just then a twisted whine scream suddenly gives crazy gets crazy loud and through the window a meteor slams into their field 5 acres away now headed for their kitchen exterior kent farm day the meteor screams across their field plowing up the earth dirt exploding everywhere as it barrels towards the house interior kent's kitchen day martha screaming on the tracks of an unearthly freight train 
Jonathan grabs her and pulls her away. Exterior, Kent Farm Day. The Kents run out toward the cornfield, yelling madly as the meteor thunders towards the house. A hundred yards away, they dive to the ground. Jonathan covers his wife, protecting her as they hear the meteor come to a slow, crunching stop. After they catch their breath, a mo- after a catch their breath moment, they take a careful peek, just above the corn line. I don't That's know why I live that line. Corn line. <laughs> the meteor stopped, literally inches from their kitchen window. They're just stunned. Moments later, the Kents approach the thing. Smoke rises, dirt everywhere. A nervous couple. Careful. I am. I am. Just so we're clear, the Kent's house took more damage than Krypton. Yeah. She stands back, a little more nervous than he is. When Jonathan gets to the edge of this new burnt-out ditch, what he sees bewilders him. The fuck? (laughs) Good God. Fuck is happening here. Jonathan jumps down into the ditch, Martha watching, and now we see Kal-El's pod, like a giant metallic ball bearing. Yeah. Hold on. Clarkson, I am not a mechanical sort. Hmm. Of what are ball bearings typically made? Uh, metal. Metal. So would not then a giant metallic bar bear- ball bearing be redundant? Bit. Bit. Just curious. Sweetheart. <sighs> Honey, I want to stand back. Jonathan slowly approaches the pod, and as he does, his hair stands on end. A result of the pod's static electricity. Jonathan reaches out slowly, cautiously, and just as he touches the pod, its outer shell suddenly loudly retracts. The Kent scream. Jonathan Ah. falls back. And what they see, where the metallic pod once was, is the liquid-filled capsule, now leaning against the dirt. Then the capsule opens, and the liquid spills into the dirt. And a nine-month-old Kal-El is revealed! (laughs) Jonathan is in absolute shock. Martha can't help it. She just starts to cry. She moves to the baby. The maternal instinct she never had a chance to apply surfaces in full force. Martha? But she carefully lifts the wet, beautiful infant in her arms, holds him close, lovingly. Jonathan moves behind her both looking into the eyes of this incredible child, pure awe. Then the baby sneezes. Blowing her arm off. (laughs) Through her teary eyes. Her red, wet eyes ripped out of her skull. (laughs) Says softly, bless you. Bless you. And on their astonishment, we pull back. A couple instantly transformed into a family. Because if you don't have kids, you're not a family. Yeah, Thanks and a lot, GOP Abrams. <laughs> you find a baby, that baby is yours. Done. You just have to put up a couple signs, like on lampposts. Right, done. Like, done is so. this your kid? Right. Found in a gooey ball. <laughs> Interior, Ken's living room day. Later, perhaps the same day, the camera is on the floor as a ball of yarn rolls past. <laughs> Clark, Clark, Clark. Because they're playing with cat. A moment later, little Kalel, now wearing a diaper, takes careful baby steps towards the yarn. Imagine what he would do to a diaper. We'll find out. Oh, imagine. I'm not kidding. Martha and Jonathan watch him. Jonathan watch him. They are smitten, but it's still all very new. Kalel kicks the ball. It rolls under one of the. It rolls under the end of their sofa. The Kents watch as the adorable little boy waddles over to the couch, carefully bends down to pick it up. And with one hand, flips the entire sofa into the air. 
The huge piece of furniture tumbles across the floor. The sofa crashes. Oh, interior Ken House Day. The sofa crashes through their front door frame, flies off their porch and into their front yard. Any child that good at moving furniture must have some Italian blood in him. Exactly. A totally unusable baby. The Kent's living room day. The Kent's are literally in shock. None <laughs> of their organs are receiving <laughs> adequate blood flow. Yeah. <laughs> kal has the ball of yarn. He's smiling. Interior, Kent bedroom night. Little kal is set down on their bed. Jonathan watches closely as Martha starts to undo the baby's diaper. As she opens it, we cut to a shot looking up at the Kent's. We stay here. The smell of the diaper is stupefying. Jonathan covers his face with his shirt. Martha's affected too, but she keeps her act together better. Okay, what in the Lord's name is that? Marcia just starts changing the diaper, trying to act like they're seeing something that what they're seeing slash smelling is ordinary. Well, it came from him, so it's beautiful. Jonathan is not nearly on the same page as his wife. Okay, listen, honey. I think we should talk about this. Before Jonathan Let's can drop e- him off at a train or something. <laughs> just put him on a train. That's good. Before Jonathan can even start, <coughs> you listen to me. You leave this child alone. He has no family. He obviously didn't come from here, fr- from anywhere near here. Now, yes, he might have certain skills that other children of his age don't. But why or how that is, we may never know. But look at him. Jonathan, look at this beautiful boy. He is everything. I'm just saying the sofa's on the front yard. Then we teach him. We teach him restraint. We teach him to control himself as parents. That's something we'd need to do anyway. Well, yes, but normally our, our lives wouldn't be at risk. This boy is an angel. Look at that face, those dimples. It's like a little movie star, little Clark Gable. Oh, Clark Kent. I think we should call him Clark. Yeah, j- just throw the diaper away. We can call him anything you want, seriously. Clark's great. I think it would have been funnier if she'd opened it and, like, we, we just keep calling her Mrs. Kent up to that point. She opens the diaper and just a blast of shit like a shotgun rips her in half. And, and that's the tale of Jonathan's never spoken up first wife. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst, the worst his, angle I could take on that. first wife, Audrey. Audrey! A fart just peels the skin from her face. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry you people heard me say that, but I'm not. Oh, dear God. A song begins. Let's say Rock Lobster. Something moving but upbeat. Something that plays <laughs> under the scenes that follow. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. I got to find, hold on. A song I have underneath what's playing here. I've got, hmm. Shut oh, Up oh, Your oh. Face by Joe Dolce. I think I've got one here. Uh, hold on. Uh, all right. We gotta get rid of the ego. There you go. This goes on. Okay. Interior, external, exterior, Kent Farm Day. Jonathan works on repairing the front door and the porch. <laughs> Watching you it. bounce is great. Jonathan works on repairing the front door and porch. Inside, Martha carries around baby Clark, who's crying. She's trying to shush him, but he is, as infants sometimes are, momentarily inconsolable. Clark inhales and cries so loudly that all the windows in the house shatter. Jonathan covers his ears. His eardrums are liquefied. (laughs) Suddenly surrounded by shattered glass everywhere. 
fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) About a year later, Clark's two now. He's running around the living room. Jonathan's trying to get him to come, but Clark keeps rambling away. Finally, Martha enters. Clark, come on now. We have to go upstairs for a bath now. Suddenly, Clark takes off, flying through the ceiling, and Jonathan and Martha are shocked. Tissues, not receding blood. Well, that's new. <laughs> Martha bolts upstairs. I think, I think the music was supposed to have cut by that point. It's the hardest song to concentrate while it's playing. Interior, Kent's bedroom, night. Clark is there, covered in wood splinters and drywall powder. Drywall powder. His parents teaching him a lesson. You have to stay on the ground. Your father's right. No flying. No flying. You, do you understand that? Like us. <laughs> wow. As they continue to lecture, we're tight on this little face, listening and learning. Mm. Exterior, Kent Fromm, night. Bedtime, push in as Martha reads a book to her two-year-old Clark. Clark, without even knowing it, touches her hand. Exterior, Kent Farm day. Clark is three now. He faces Jonathan ten feet away, like any three-year-old. Clark tosses a ball to his dad. A few other baseballs scattered about. Good, excellent. Nice arm. Jonathan rolls back the ball to the child. Clark picks it up and throws it again. Yes, great control. You see that? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan tosses it back. Okay, give it a little more juice. A little of that Kent magic. And Clark hurls the ball. Out of the state! Jonathan just watches it go. Uh, Oh, God. Oh, God. A la- exterior, Hub City Day. Hub City? Is that from... I don't know. No? Okay. <laughs> I don't fucking know. I don't know anything. A loud, busy, multi-lane highway. A grand city in the distance. Out of nowhere, a baseball lands. Six cars, two trucks, screech like mad to, invo- to avoid an ugly crash. Or the ball just flies off in the sky and we save money. Yeah. Yeah. Or we have eight deaths. <laughs> uh, sure. Let it, let it be. Yeah. Jonathan tries to teach Clark, who's clearly nervous. Okay, not that much juice. Sorry. (laughs) You don't have to be, you don't have to be sorry. Just always remember, control yourself. Okay. (laughs) Jonathan hugs his son, saying sweetly. I don't want you ever get into trouble. Not so tight. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Interior, Clark's bedroom, night. Shit's about to get real. (laughs) Tight on the solar system. It's a mobile hanging above Clark's bed. Five-year-old Clark lies there, staring up at the planets as if mesmerized by them. And the song ends as we cut to... Oh, man, should have been playing Muckle Bluck that whole time. (laughs) Ah, well. Um, Interior, Kent's bedroom, night. Overhead, slowly moving towards Martha and Jonathan who lie awake reading. So Clark made a discovery today. Yeah, what's that? He can see through things. Martha lowers his tractor journal. What? Incredulous. Yep. We was there at the supermarket. Loretta Lang was... What? Loretta Lang? Yes. Clark said, Mommy, why is that not lady not wearing underpants? Which we... All know is true about Loretta. Jonathan sure does. Wait, Martha does too? Evidently. You're kidding me? That lucky kid. 
Martha hits him playfully. He smiles and kisses her. The kiss grows more passionate until very quietly, not tonight, he can hear us too. He's heard you for five years. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Not if we're really quiet. Or just go the other direction and be as loud and awful as possible. Yeah. That's what I say. She looks at him. Then, to prove her point, Clark. Then, from way down the hall. Yeah, Mom. (laughs) Jonathan cannot believe it. Son of a bitch. Go to sleep. Wait, I'm sorry. Go to sleep. Okay. Martha smiles. Goes back to her book. Off Jonathan. <laughs> so just welcome to a lifetime of cockblockery. Yes. Sexless existence for you, Jonathan. Yeah. Welcome to it. Mm-hmm. Of In course, he- you can always see Loretta Lang. <laughs> but your son will hear you. Oh, so. yes. And no matter where you are. Yeah. Anywhere. Welcome to it, sir. Anywhere. But, you know. Interior Smallville Diner Night. We move through this classic small-town diner. We find six-year-old Clark having dinner with his mother at a bench. What's striking is that Clark Kent has had control so deeply ingrained in him that even at six, he's already an introverted, self-conscious, overly self-controlled person. Thought maybe when Dad gets back, we can put a screen on the back porch. Yeah, that sounds good. But Clark's eyes are elsewhere. Across the diner, Lana Lang, six years old and adorable, stands at her rotating pie display. <laughs> Not at her, at the rotating... Uh, yeah, no, her. Just watching the pies go round. Martha turns, sees Lana. Oh, why don't you go say hi? Nah. Lana doesn't know me. There are only eight kids in your class, Clark. She knows you. Go say hi. That's the nice thing to do. Don't be such a nudge, mother. <laughs> A beat. Clark sighs, gets up, moves to Lana. He stands there beside her, both kids staring at the parade of pies. Mm. I would say carousel of pies. <laughs> uh, she looks at him, then looks away. Hi, Lana. You just looking at pies? <laughs> <laughs> then Lana looks at him, not necessarily approvingly. You stare at the wall a lot in class. You stare at the wall a lot in class. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just like looking at the clouds and stuff. But it's a wall. There aren't even windows. Clark Beat smiles as he's sharing a secret. I make my own windows. She just looks at him. You are the weirdest kid in class. This breaks his heart. He forces a weak smile. Mr. Lang, Lana, Lana, come on, we're leaving. Your mother's a whore. Lana, we got to go get some non-pennies for your hooker <laughs> mom. You go slinging her stuff around Kent's way. Everyone knows. Your mama's a town joke. She's made my life a living fucking hell. Purgatory living with that slut. Wow. <laughs> the diner parking lots. <laughs> yeah. Now things get really weird. Clark's left alone, deeply in a, alone, and we prelap with, You are the weirdest kid. At home. <laughs> least. You are the weirdest kid. The least weird. Mother. Ki- you are the least weird kid I know. Exterior, diner, night. The diner's parking lot adjacent to the train tracks. It's dark out here. No one else around. Only a couple of parked cars. Clark follows his mother across the lot. 
that you just have some gifts that they don't. Which makes me weird. <laughs> Martha starts to unlock the car. You are a normal boy. If your eyes are bothering you, I thought we might be able to have some special glasses made up. Some lead specks in the glass. That would be terrible. That, sounds t- that does sound awful. Mr. Devaney. Saw you inside. <laughs> and the voice makes Martha jump a little. She turns to see Mr. Devaney walking out of the darkness. <laughs> Naked. <laughs> <laughs> Holding a pie over his junk. <laughs> over little Devaney. Uh, oh, dear. Uh, he's the Kent's landlord, a man we've heard she's not crazy about. A big guy in his early 50s, short-cropped red hair, brown suit, no tie. Martha tries to hide her discomfort as he approaches, but she always gets the feeling that he's undressing her with his eyes. Mr. Deviney, how are you? Drunk is how he is. Me? I'm fantastic. I'm fantastic! Where's your husband? Unlocking the car door. Well, Jonathan's out of town. The distant bells of a train crossing. Really? Doing what? Getting alone? <laughs> Get in the car, and Clark does. In the back seat, he closes his door. Clark keeps his tormented eyes locked on Devaney. You don't have to worry. My rent will be on time this month. Oh, yeah? You're kidding. Hell froze over. No one told me. Amused at himself, Mr. Devaney has walked close to Martha, putting his hand on the car, preventing her from getting in. Clark watches nervously through the glass as Mr. Devaney leans in close to his mother. I have an idea. You want to hear it? (laughs) The train comes now, loud on the track. I need to get my son home for bed. The boy can stay in the car. We could do each other a favor. Mr. Devaney. We could say it's this month's rent is free. How's that sound? I'd rather pay the rent. I see how you look at me. Little Clark's eyes are wide, terrified. Please let go of my arm. But Mr. Devaney kisses her. He try, she tries to push him away. His lips go to her neck. His hands on her. She tries to move away. But he's being aggressive. Clark quickly gets out of the car. He grabs Mr. Devaney's jacket. Stop it! (laughs) But Devaney just pushes the boy back. Get back in the car! He continues to attack Martha, who tries in vain to fight him off. Clark, in rage, lunges at Mr. Devaney, grabs him and throws him over a hundred yards across the parking lot. Martha is shocked as Clark runs towards the man. Clark! No! The train still passes loudly. Mr. Devaney is wounded and disoriented as Clark, six-year-old Clark, grabs the large man and whips him onto the train and slams him onto the pavement. Mr. Devaney screams. Clark does it again and again. He is dead. He's just beating him against a moving train? Mm. Oh, whips him into the air and then on the pavement. I thought for a second he bounced him. Either way. I thought he bounced him onto the train. (laughs) Oh, that would have been awesome. As much as the audience will go wild over this sequence, it quickly becomes disturbing and bloody and all too real. Martha screaming, begging for his son to stop the attack. Okay, this is automatically the greatest scene ever <laughs> yeah. in, in Superman. It's so just the, a la Hulk, Loki, and Avengers 1. Yeah. Wham, 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 wham. He's beating wham. the rapist to death on yeah. the ground. 
Once the caboose passes and the train's gone, Mr. Devaney is a horrible, bloody mess. Clark is out of breath, splattered in blood himself, more afraid than anything. What's most frightening is Mr. Devaney's wide, terrified eyes set against his blood-wet face. I can't believe I can still have the power to speak. Yeah. You're, you're, you're Satan! You're the devil himself! Martha takes Clark's hand, wanting only to get the hell out of there, but somehow Clark is fixed here, staring at this man, who says words that will stay with Clark, partially define Clark for years. You're a freak! Sent from hell! You're a freak from hell! Hell freak! <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> Martha drags Clark away. Into the car, screeching away all the while, Mr. Devaney yelling, That boy's a monster! That's what he is! A monster! <laughs> Production value. <laughs> um, interior, Clark's bedroom. Night. Clark lies in bed. He's turned away from his mother, who sits beside him, stroking his hair. Clark's eyes are open, traumatized, not just because he saw his mother attacked, but because deep down he thinks Mr. Baney might have been on, Mr. Devaney might have been on to something. Mr. Devaney, what? <laughs> Giggles. That's funny. We slowly pull back from the scene. Fade out. Fade in. Exterior farmland day. White. Winter in Smallville, and now a dot of yellow is on the Smallville Junior High School bus. Uh, is, is, <laughs> and that dot of yellow is the Smallville Junior High School bus. We can barely make out the kids yelling, embellishing Christmas songs, i.e., wish you a merry penis. What? I never heard that before. Never. Ever. That's dreadful. As the bus pulls up at the crossroads, the door is open. Kids, much louder now. Clark, now 14, gets off the bus. Clearly not one of the popular kids. He even wears glasses now. Led spec, thanks to Mom. Thanks, Mom. And he's even more the class outsider than he was the last time we saw him. As he gets off the bus, says to the driver, kindly, Merry Christmas, Miss McGrath. Merry Christmas. Ma- <laughs> Merry Christmas, Clark. I love glasses mean you're an outsider. Yes. And let's be honest, the last time we saw him, he wasn't an outsider. He was the balls. Yeah. yeah. Beating a rapist to death. Yeah, good with, good with us. Shit, yes. The doors close and the bus drives off. Clark walks home, but he can still hear the kids inside the bus, even as it drives away. A quarter mile down the road. Even if we're in China. Yeah. Could Clark can't be more bizarre? Not a chance. He's like a total psycho. He doesn't even play sports. The only friends are his parents. (laughs) Clark keeps waiting. By now, used to this. But that doesn't mean he likes it. He covers his ears as he walks. Interior... Kent House Day. Clark comes in, stomping his icy snowshoes on the porch and pulling them off. Mom? Dad? Mom or Dad? No one's home. Push in on his face. He smiles. Hurries off. Smash. Cut. Two. Interior. Kent's bedroom. Day. Clark sits in the back of his parents' closet. Uh Uh-oh. Going through his Christmas presents. He picks up a wrapped box, shapes it. But unlike most kids, Clark doesn't have to unwrap anything to see what's in. He just removes his glasses and looks through the wrapping. We see x-ray vision. One gifts a pair of sneakers, another's a microscope, then a sweater, and of course he's disappointed. There must be something better. Clark pulls over a chair, stands on it, checks out the elusive dark 
top shelf of the closet. He peers up there, hopefully, but there doesn't seem to be anything besides Mom and Dad's boring storage until he finds something interesting, something in the way back. He reaches for it and pulls it out. It's a sort of canister, a little larger than a football, metallic, smooth. Looks somehow not. Hold on. Not of this earth. That's not as echoey as I want it to be, but we'll, we'll find the right one here. Clark tries to open it, but he can't find a way to do it. No latch, no screw top, but he tries anyway, pulling at it with all his might, and that is considerable, but it won't open. What the hell is this thing, and how is it as strong? so strong? My! Interior, Clark, Kent's Kitchen Day. Clark sits at the kitchen table, eating from a container of chocolate ice cream and staring at the metallic canister that sits in the middle of the table. Mm. He gets to the last of the ice cream, and his face a chocolate mess. It is. And as he uses his spoon to strike the last of the ice cream into his mouth, in the foreground, the canister opened. Uh, and it reacts to ice cream. It, mm, this is serious technology. And Clark freezes. He just looks at the now open metallic football as if it were haunted. <gasps> and he slowly leans towards it, slowly, with nervous anticipation. Patient. He peeks inside. Something red seems to fill the interior. But is it liquid or solid? Rubber or steel? And then he touches it. And, like a jack-in-the-box, something bursts from the canister, sending Clark onto his back. Standing there now, in the middle of his classic Americana kitchen, is our pristine Superman suit. <laughs> standing there now, in the middle of this classic... Okay, which... Uh, yes, standing there, as if being worn by a powerful man. An adult powerful man. Clark, still in his back, is wide-eyed. Finally, quickly, he gets to his feet. More afraid than anything, he grabs whatever's closest. A whisk. Oh, okay. Um, he slowly walks around the self-standing suit. It seems almost alive, the red cape gently oscillating. Clark finally reaches out carefully and touches the cape, feels the thick alien material. Then he feels the suit itself. After getting just a little too comfortable, he checks out the sleeves. And suddenly something extraordinary happens. The sleeve sucks his arm inside up to his soldier. Shoulder. Clark reeks. Ah! Help! <laughs> he resists it. But in an instant, the suit wears Clark. Oh, it man. sucks him inside it and rips off his clothes. Oh, man. What and a night. suddenly he's motionless. A 14-year-old boy wearing the coolest fucking suit you've ever seen. <laughs> Only it's ten sizes too big. No way. <laughs> this is boss. Yeah. My goodness. This is the coolest fucking suit I've ever seen. <laughs> the front door burst open, and Clark steps into the porch, standing akimbo. Behind those glasses, his eyes are melodramatically fixed on the horizon. He looks ridiculous. Except, this really is Superman in the making. No matter. He runs off. Huh. Exterior road day. Inspired by the suit, Clark sprints, watching the cape flap in the wind behind him. He's having a blast, getting comfortable in this second skin. And as he runs faster and faster, he starts leaping. At first a few feet, then a few more. Then he's jumping 12 feet, 20. He can't believe it. Wow, gnarly dude. Clark run jumps 40 feet, and then he jumps again. But this time he stays afloat, the cape adjusting to keep him in the air. Like a living... I know this is misprint, but... Aileron organism. <laughs> he quickly realizes the best position for his arms 
isn't perpendicular to his body, but straight ahead. Okay. And Clark starts laughing as he soars in the sky. Like Tony Hawk without the board on a half pipe. This kid has never been so exhilarated. Oh, man, this guy's a genius. Yeah, he is. He is. He sails 2,000 feet into the sky, then dives towards his snowy fields, stabilizing just before he hits the earth. He dives into the snow. Oh, Clark bullets under the snow, burrowing through the fields like an adolescent airborne mole. <laughs> mole. Mole. He bursts through the snow back into the sky. For Clark, this experience is celebratory, heart lifting, then plunging back to earth, flying just above the snow, eyes closed. And just when he is having the best time of his life, Clark slams head first into his father's tractor. Oh. The thing practically explodes into a thousand pe- pieces. Clark wipes out spastically in the snow. Out of breath and stunned by the impact, he puts his glasses back on, then stands in the snow, only to find his parents standing next to their car, having just hurried home. An oh-shit moment, if there ever was one. Sorry. Go to your room! Interior, Clark's bedroom, night. Clark sits on his bed, pensive, still wearing the two-big suit and his glasses. The door opens. His parents enter and sit across from him. They're about to have the difficult conversation they've been dreading for years. He watches them for a moment, and then... I don't know where you got this flying suit, but it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Is it not for me? Clark, it isn't the suit that flies. Yeah, the cape. It's like a handlebar, like a, like a steering wheel. Well, maybe the suit helps you steer. I don't know. But even when you were little... Gravity didn't always work on you. Oh, the same way your eyes work differently than other kids. The same way you're stronger. I, I, don't, I don't understand. Am I in trouble? Honey, you know we both love you. Yeah? Hey, what's going on? We are your parents. But not biologically. This news is horrifying. Takes a beat to sink in. I'm... I'm... Adopted? No, you're stolen. We just found you in a field and (laughs) took you home. Finders keepers, they lost their ball on our property. That means it's ours. No taxi taxis. (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan, Clark, that suit, it came with you when you landed here. Clark doesn't realize his breathing quickens. When I landed here? What do you mean, landed? You're not from here. Well, not from Smallville. Well, not from this planet. Oh there are now tears in Clark's eyes. God, I'm from Oklahoma, aren't I? <laughs> then where am I from? We don't know. Clark looks off, grappling with this mega news. <gasps> the realization that he's that all he's feared is being confirmed. He's a freak, a monster, perhaps. A hell freak. El Diablo himself. Clark suddenly stands up, pulling at the suit. He wants it off, desperately wanting it off. Clark, wait! Clark yanks the thing so hard, it finally separates and comes off his body. He throws the thing on the floor, then grabs whatever clothes are there and runs away. Clark! Bear in mind, he's totes naked when that thing comes off of him, so he's having to struggle and get dressed again. It's just boy-ass flailing for a pair of of pants. Um, Exterior fields night. Clark runs through the night, crying, trying to lose himself, wishing he weren't himself. 
running so hard for so long he finally collapses in a snowing field, snobbing the deep, painful cries of a true outsider, always running and always them. And I ran until I won a gold medal at the <laughs> Bob LaFontaine. And he looks up with his eyes wet, red and wet, oh, God. into the infinite night, knowing that somewhere up there is a home that cast him away. No, it shouldn't be, but the stars... Fill the stars fill the screen, and after a beat, we slowly tilt down. It's a transition that takes us to exterior, Jomian Desert, Krypton Night, nighttime. The cracked Earth Desert seems to go on forever. These three moons we saw during the day are glowing brightly tonight, and amid the nothingness is a clay and straw three-room hut. Smoke rises from a makeshift kidney, and the words appear on screen: Jomian Desert, Krypton, interior hut, night. Taga, the turtle-like creature that drove Laura away, cooks a grisly-looking a grisly-looking stew. He takes a pot over to Laura, now fifty, who sits at a table lost in thought. Her spirit crushed long ago. Taga serves her without much enthusiasm. Laura thinks to him, think, thanks him in Kryptonian. <laughs> she looks down at her food. Her mind's once again drifting, no doubt back to her lost family. And there's a strange sound. Laura looks up. Taga's ears perk up. It's something outside. Taga grabs a large, self-made war club. He whispers in Kryptonian, Shh, don't move. Taga leaves the hut. We're extremely tight on Laura as she sits, nervously, listening carefully for a long beat. Finally, she gets up and... Exterior, German desert. Night. Krypton night. Laura steps out, looks at the vast, empty desert. There's no one there. Laura slowly walks around the structure. It's like a horror movie. You just know you're about to be scared to death. Laura turns a corner, finds Taga dead on the ground. She turns to run, but one of Katazor's guards is there. He slams her in the face with the butt of his blast staff. Finishes. <laughs> <laughs> Interior, Yispa Megacity, Krypton Night, the universe's largest megacity, sure. hundreds of star scrapers, Ugh. monolithic 2,000-story uh. multifunction buildings, aircraft everywhere, words appear, Yispa Megacity, Krypton, interior, Yispa Concentration Camp, mm. Night, <sighs> a dark, immense concrete prison, Lore is held, is led down the wide central corridor by three armed guards. As she walks, scared and in pain, she glances into the cells. There are Kryptonians held here, those who once lived under Jor-El's tolerant rule, and now they're suffering, emaciated and sick. This moment is more heartbreaking for her than anything. Seeing her people in such a condition fills her eyes with tears. It is just then that one of the male prisoners sees Laura, the stick figure man moves to the cell bars and calls out with reverence and a weak voice. And the queen! It's a letter. <laughs> the tears now roll down her cheeks as these poor prisoners begin moving to their bars, seeing her bowing to a woman who in their minds is still their first lady. The camp is filled with the prisoners' quiet chants of inquiptonian. Queen Alora, Queen Alora, hey, Queen. Hey, Queen. Queen. 
Reggie Laura, Reggie Laura. Headed down to her cell, Laura just cries as we pull back to reveal this camp is enormous. Mega this- enormous. Mega ginormous. This one wing is at least a dozen stories tall. There must be over a hundred thousand prisoners here. Eleven billion. Cut to Zor and tie Zor. Sixteen twenty-two now. Bow at an altar. Oh, we cut to prayer chamber night. Instead of candles, glowing wires wow. like orange incandescent light bulb, fil- bulb filaments surround the room. It's actually rather beautiful. An ambassador enters the room, sees them, hushed tones. Your holiness, she's here. Tizor to his father, who contemplates this deeply pleased. We also see Tizor wants this job. A father. You're both. Oh, I'm both? Mm. Can I trust you with this? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> this thing's a fucking mess. Interior, Jorel's cell, night. We push in. Superman's father, Jorel, is now a shell of a man. Sixty-eight years old. He is half-hanging, his wrists caked with dried blood, chained to the wall behind him. Scars and filth cover the former Kryptonian leader. He looks up at the cell door bursts open. Three guards come in, holding the wife he hasn't seen in almost two decades. He's in shock beyond speech as they look at each other. They shove her to the ground, holding her head down execution style. She whimpers quietly. <laughs> then Tizor enters, calm, controlled, and holding an ancient sheathed sword, <gasps> like a katana blade, engraved with Kryptonian tests. I wasn't born yet, the day my father was overlooked. The day grandfather chose you for the throne and handed you this blade. But look at what happens. Look at where you are, and look at what I've got. Ties, dude, hold on a minute. I wasn't born yet the day my father was overlooked. The day grandfather chose you for the throne, and the hand of you this blade. But look at what happened, huh? Look at where you are, and look at what I got. Tizor pulls out the blade. He holds it with the respect and skill of a master. Bows with the sword. The proper techniques. The proper... Oh, wait, hold on. Did it just jump something there? No, no, no. Okay, so the proper techniques just before its use. With a whip-fast series of swipes, Tizor's holding the blade directly above Laura's head. I need to find my cousin. Tell me where he is and your life will live. It's a simple... Jorel stares at his fucking nephew. <laughs> Those are, that's that's the exact script. words. Blind with rage and horror. Never. Jorel's eyes flick his defiant, terrified wife. My sweet love. Uh, thank God that we send him away. I love for you. Hey, I love you too. Where is Kalel? <laughs> but it's clear that Tizor, his uncle, won't budge. Finally, in a terrifying moment... Tizor raises the blade and strikes down. We don't see it, but Tizor has just murdered Laura. Jorel, traumatized, screams at nothing, and we hear screams getting louder until we cut to. Should we cut right there? We're at an hour twenty-two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're not going to tell you what we cut to in time next to week. Nothing. We don't cut Credits to shit. Roll. Fade to black, motherfucker. That's it. It's just a really depressing story about a guy's wife getting beheaded. The end. God, the end. 
So, uh, call us at 512-666-RANT to let us know what you think of it this far. Or email us at thefilmsthugs at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, settle in. Yeah, because we still have 100 fucking pages <laughs> left. Like, seriously, that doesn't even cover Act 1. What the balls? So let's reflect real quick on what you said. First off, a whole lot of shit went down. Yep. I mean, that's like that's a, almost a full movie's worth of shit that just happened. A lot there. of stuff has happened, and a lot more stuff will happen that doesn't need to happen because yeah. Krypton did not explode. Yeah. A majority of what's happened thus far can be described as shit what didn't need happening. Correct. Apparently, uh, Superman Returns had uh, an hour of material or 45 minutes of, of footage of Superman going back to the ruins of Krypton uh-huh. and flying around in his little space spaceship, spaceship that he had, and, you know, and, uh, you know, confirming, oh, okay. I guess it is all blowed up. Yeah. So I can just come on back to Earth. Yeah. And my bastard son that I abandoned <laughs> for no good fucking right. reason. But that this jabroni is raising for me. That's that was useless material. Utterly. A grand majority. I like the the pain that we have to go through to describe the suit. This is like, weren't you telling me in some some draft of the female Ghostbusters? I have like like twenty pages describing how the logo was designed. Yeah. yeah. Motherfuckers, we don't need to know. It's a Superman suit that he flies in. It's yeah, Superman. Get Why it can't it just be in a box? Yeah, that his mom gives him. Yeah, or any of the thousand different incarnations of how he gets his suit. He, his mother makes it from the material he was sent in the ship with. It, no, what, it, what, 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 what. it had to be a giant legs, egg, a pantyhose. <laughs> well, with it the, was standing uh, all by itself, all, as yeah. if filled by an uh, enormous man <laughs> in, <laughs> in Man of Steel. But it was on a Kryptonian ship. Yeah, yeah. It was so like it in a display. Makes a little kit. more sense. And it didn't suck Ish. him in. No, he had to put it on, as far yeah. as we know. Yeah. And then who knows? It could be the beginning of Dawn of Justice. He just opens up a big old legs pantyhose can and. <laughs> yeah. Time to go kill me, Bruce Wayne. Because <laughs> that's what would happen. Done. Done. I beams from space. <laughs> yeah. Fucks you. Fucks you. Yeah. So uh, let us know what you thought of this and. Uh, Next week, we'll join in with part two of, of something. Two of 300. Fucking who knows. So. Bow, 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 cocaine. Cocaine.